Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. Today's topic, Entrance Requirements of Heaven. If you were to stand before the Holy God today and He were to ask you, Why should I let you into my heaven? What answer would you give Him? This is a hard question, but I'm convinced it is a most necessary question. People venture a number of responses, but they're all insufficient. Some people would dare to say to God, I'm not any worse than the rest of mankind. But that, my friend, will never open the door of heaven. You see, God has concluded that the whole human race is under sin and judgment because of the fall of Adam. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, Romans 5.12. Even more damning are our own transgressions of God's holy law and our failure to render positive obedience to the whole law of God. James reminds us, For whosoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. James 2.10 To be just as good as the tech next fella is only to be in the company of the damned. Or perhaps you have another response. I go to church fairly regularly or all the time and I read my Bible, and I pray, I'm very religious, and I'm sincere in what I believe. In this type of response, you're basically saying that your religious life qualifies you to enter God's heaven. In other words, you earned your way. Another person in a similar vein of thought might say, I live a morally respectful life, and I do not try to hurt anyone. You're saying that God's standards are not very high, and that God should have no problem with you. What about you? What would you say are God's requirements to enter into his heaven? Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, ask a rhetorical question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? The answer, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, and who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. But who qualifies? Do you? Even the holy prophet Isaiah cried out when confronted with God's holiness, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 6, 5. Later in Isaiah 64, 6 and 7, he says, We've all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Jesus informs us of God's standard of righteousness, Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The startling truth is this. If you would enter God's heaven, you must be as perfect as God. This means you can never have sinned because God is sinless and cannot even be tempted with sin. So if you ever broken just one of God's laws in an active deed or by mental intent, you are a sinner. And it only takes one sin to exclude you from heaven and open wide the doors of hell. Paul gives us a summary of God's indictment against all people in Romans 3, 10 through 12, quoting from the Psalms. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. 
All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So think seriously about this question. What right do I have to enter God's heaven? Your eternal life depends upon the correct answer. No amount of good works or religious deeds can make up for one sin you have ever committed in thought, word, or deed. God's interest requirements are very high. In fact, they are impossible for fallen man to ever achieve. There is no hope within you to affect salvation. If you are to have any hope, then help must come from outside of you. It must come from God himself and from God alone. The only way you can have a right to enter God's heaven is through identifying by faith alone with the perfect Holy Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners. Jesus told us in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when a crowd found Jesus after his feeding of the 5,000, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. John six twenty-eight through 29 The Apostle John, in his testimony of Jesus' rights in John three sixteen and following, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that's his unique Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. In John 1.12, All who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the only way into God's heaven. Trust in Jesus Christ, the unique Son of God, God incarnate, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. More than that then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5, 9-10. through 10. And Hebrews two seventeen says, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. By his death as the Son of God, identifying with you and your sin, Jesus discharged the debt of your sin that you owe to God. He bore your punishment on the tree. His resurrection on the third day proves his atonement was perfect. He lives as the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God to live in you by his Spirit if you believe on his name. The moment your heart is renewed by the Spirit of God and you cry out as a sinner to be forgiven because of Christ's blood shed on your behalf, you are forgiven. Not only does God forgive all of your sins, past, present, and future, but He does more. He gives to you as a free gift the very righteousness of His Son, Jesus the Messiah. You stand perfect before Him in Jesus. 
This is what the Bible means when it states that we are accepted in the beloved, the one who God supremely loves. Every time God sees a believer in his son Jesus, he sees his unique son, his holiness, his perfect righteousness. You are cleansed by his blood and clothed in his righteousness. Augustus' top lady expressed this truth so well. A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with our righteousness own, my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood had all my transgressions from view. And what more can God require than he has? What more can Jesus Christ provide for his people than he has? On that great day of judgment, may our answer to the question of God, what right do you have to live before me, be the only answer that he accepts. I have no right of my own to enter into your heaven because I'm a sinner, a violator of your law. But I come believing in Jesus Christ who died for me and has given me his righteousness. I come in his name alone. In him alone I seek entrance. If you do so, then you'll hear God say, Enter and welcome, for Jesus has prepared a place for you. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. Until next time, look to Jesus Christ alone as the Savior. He's the Savior of sinners.